My name is Brian Hargis. I know this all this bling looks flashy and all, but I am a chaplain in the U.S. Army, and I've been serving in that capacity for the last seven years, um, and then in the and in the National Guard and active duty on and off for about a total of 23 years. So it's a pleasure to be here. How many of you remember when I was here last Christmas, like a year and a half ago? Now the rest of you, put your hand down, Isaac. Of course you're going to be here. The rest of you, uh, there's some new faces in here. How many of you have been coming here in the last year? You started coming within the last year. All right, lots of hands. Well, welcome. Uh, this is an awesome chapel, and I preach at chapels all the time. Uh, normally on military installations, not off, so this is a, a unique blessing. It's a blessing to Sean all these years, and of course his wife and family, uh, to see uh, people serving the Lord that I, I grew up with. So if you will, take your Bible and turn to the book of 2 Kings. We're going to go Old Testament. 2 Kings. While you're doing that, I do have a book that uh, just came out called Marriage is a Four-Letter Word. It's helped for families. It's helped for those that are uh, about to be married, that are hitting problems, rough spots, uh, have gone through divorce, about to remarry, all of those things. It hits all of us uh, from forgiveness and forgetting to reasonable rules for raising rugrats uh, to identifying problems, to eliminate problems, to improve your marital foxhole. This is a work in progress. started about three years ago and... Uh, <clears throat> It's, it's just, it's flourished into something great. I do a lot of counseling, about 45 counselings a month, 80% of them have to do with couples that are uh, experienced problems, but yet they're not working through those effectively. And as I didn't, I didn't either. It's only by the grace of God that I'm married today. So I've learned a lot through that, right, Linda? We've learned a lot by our mistakes. They say experience is the best teacher, but experience is a hard teacher, Amen. So you go on Barnes & Noble's website or Amazon to get it, but I brought them today if you'd like to get one. I'm not here to sell books, but I am here to talk about the Lord. Amen? Check my timer, Brother Sean. Hey, how you doing? Alright, 2 Kings chapter number 7. Uh, chapter number 7, verses 3 and 4. I'm going to read these two verses, if you will. When you're there, say Amen. Amen. If you're not, say, hold on. <laughs> All right, verses 3 and 4. And there were four leprous men at the entering end of the gate. And they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, there's a famine in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive... We shall live, and then if they kill us, we shall but die. Father, I pray that you bless them, your word this morning as it goes forth. May your words, God, may they be my words. Lord, help me not to say or do anything that doesn't need to be in our congregation today. Lord, may, may this be a wellspring of life that comes from you today. So Lord, I pray from the top of my head to the soles of my feet, may you cleanse me and use me today to encourage your people to share the gospel, to tell some stories that... Lord, they reverberate Jesus Christ in our midst today. May your power and presence be with us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. I'm going to talk about this subject called get moving or die in place. Say it with me. Get moving or die in place. One more time. Get moving or die in place. Like, what are you talking about, chaplain? Well, I'm going to give you some history. This text that we're reading is about 900 years before Christ. And right at this time... The prophet is in the city of Samaria. This prophet Elijah in the city of Samaria is surrounded by an army, a Syrian army, an enemy army. 
And they're led by a king named Ben-Hadad, or Ben-Hadad, however you want to pronounce it. This time, at this point in Scripture, if you read one, one chapter prior, chapter number 6, they had been surrounded, their resources had been cut off, their water supplies gone, their food supplies, their convoys in and out gone, probably their crops burned, Sean, probably uh, the villagers all, all killed and destroyed, and it had been seized for so long that they were in dire strait, they were in famine. It was so bad at this point that they had eaten off the remaining livestock, their supply, and they began to eat on each other. I know this sounds really strange, but if you remember back in 1972, there was a flight going over South America. It was flight number 71 of the Air Force. It, cla- it, tra- it crashed in the, in the Andes Mountains. And they began to eat one another because they were freezing to death. They made a movie in 1993 called Alive. How many remember that story? So in this story, we see, we see the biblical example of how they were uh, selling the worst of the worst, eating what they could, and they were eating each other. Look at chapter number 6, verse 24. Let me prove it to you. The Bible says, It came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold... They besieged it until an ass's head was sold for four score pieces of silver. That's not a lot of money right there. And then it says, in the fourth part of the cab of doves dung for five pieces of silver. Somebody said, are they eating that? I don't know if they're eating it or using it for fuel, whatever they're doing. I mean, the prices went up and what you got wasn't that much. And as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him saying, help my lord, O king. And he said, if the Lord do not help thee, when shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor or out of the wine presses? He's saying that we don't have any more. How am I going to help you if God's not even helping us? In verse 28, and the king said unto her, what's your problem or what aileth thee? And she answered, this woman said unto me, give thy son that we may eat him today. And we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, give thy son that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. You realize how bad it was that they were eating each other? Terrible story. I mean, you would have, I, and I've been in the military for a long time, and you would have to besiege and surround the city for so long that it got really bad really quick. So, so long that it was, it was too bad to go out and fight because they probably were less of an army. They were probably uh, not equipped to, to fight a larger group. But yet it was so bad that they stayed there and began chewing on each other and began selling the skin off of the head of a donkey or a mule with his little skin on that. And doves dung for fuel or for food. Now we come to the story about these four men with leprosy. We read the two verses in chapter 7. Let's talk about these four leprous men. First of all, they were lepers. Say lepers. 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 Do you know that some of the largest leper colonies in the world, and this just came to me right now, Sean, is in India. When I did research on this a while ago, the largest leper colonies still in the world are in India. Thousands of them still with leprosy. So it's still around the world. It is somewhat curable today. It wasn't back then. I mean, it is stoppable to a certain point. Uh, maybe not completely. But there's still these men with leprosy. They were dying. And that's the type of us today. From, from the moment we're born, we begin to die. You say, yeah, but we grow up. But I'm telling you, I got an 11 year old back there, and I got a seven year old that's in Sunday school, 
And even though they're growing up, we're still dying. Because life is short and it goes by quick. But eternity is forever. They were dying. They were lepers. This, this signifies to me that uh, they were unclean. It's symbolic of sin. How many of you are sinless? One in here? So we all have sin. And it spreads throughout. They were dying because of sin. Leprosy in the Bible is a type of sin. And we also see that they were rejected by society, by family and friends. Maybe not rejected completely, but they couldn't have the same relationship because they had an incurable disease that was contagious. And they put them outside the camp, outside the fortified camps. And they made their own leper colonies. You've heard that term. And whenever they had to uh, pass through the markets outside the camp, they had to cover their face with a, with a handkerchief and they had to go around the city and say, I'm clean! I'm clean! And everyone else would like part the sea because they didn't want to catch the disease. These men were leprous. They were outside the camp. They were unclean. Biblically speaking, they were full of sin just like us. They were outcasts. They were rejects. I remember one time when I was an outcast and a reject. Maybe with society, but more so with God because of sin. And He provided a way through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Any other rejects in here besides me? Any other misfits besides me? Amen. I'm so glad God could take a nobody and turn them into a somebody compared to Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that God... See, God doesn't need uh, our ability. Really, He doesn't. God doesn't need uh, my degrees. God doesn't need my education. God doesn't need my background. All God needs is my availability. He needs your availability. These men were lepers, just like us. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through who? Jesus Christ our Lord. And just like us, these lepers were dying because of sin and they needed a Savior. In Romans 5.12 it says, For as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for they all have sin. That's the reason why we die, because of sin. Then these men were dying because of an incurable disease, and they had no foreseeable future in life. They were rejects. They were outside the camp. Nothing seemed to matter. They were dying of their sin, just like us. That's what I want to talk about next is the city. This city right here, this city of Samaria, was dying from famine. It was dying because of the devastation. I want to talk about the city, and, it, and, and I know theologically it may not fit with this, but I want to uh, define the city as almost a type of the world, where, I mean, they were dying inside, and they didn't even realize it. It was getting darker and darker because of sin. Look at, look at society today. Look at what's going on in our nation today, where sin abounds. But where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. It seems like you can't watch TV or watch a commercial or watch CNN or watch uh, you know, the, the television without seeing something that is right in your face. You can't drive down 75 or 675 without seeing a billboard that's right in your face where sin abounds. But where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. In just my generation of just about 43 years this month, I'm telling you what, I've seen sin more in your face than ever before. To where I got to explain to my boy why two men are doing what they're doing in a restaurant. Like, I, wait, how does this sin abound like this? Because the world's getting darker and darker. Then we see here that in John chapter 3, that men love darkness rather than light because our deeds are evil. You know, that's how we know that the Lord's coming back soon. It's because He says, as it was in the days of Noah and Lot, 
so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. We need to be looking for His coming. But at the same time, Samantha, we need to be telling others about our Lord Jesus Christ and spreading the gospel, which Wellspring does. This city, dying from famine. Now let's talk about the Syrians. I want to relate to Syrians in this aspect as a type of the Lord. Because the Syrians weren't having the problems that the Samaritans were. There was love, there was peace, there was probably some joy in the camp of the Syrian. Yeah, I realize they were at war, but there was more blessings there and provisions than there were in the city. Would you agree with that? Because they had, they had the, the, the city surrounded, the Syrians. Now let's look at the lepers. Verse 4. If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine's in the city and we shall die there. They had an option. They had a decision to make. And the options were not good. There were two of them. We either stay here in this camp and we die. Or we go to the enemy's camp and we might die. The options were this. We stay or we go. We stay or we go. And both, neither of them looked good. Would you agree? Aaron, neither of them looked great. In 1982... There was an English punk rock band named The Clash. They put out one album. Only one. And significantly, the, the, the title was Straight to Hell. They only had one solo hit. It was called Should I Stay or Should I Go? And they were on the way to hell because it said Straight to Hell. They said to stay here, according to this text, means to die. To go to the city of Samaria means to die. The options are not good. And sometimes those options creep into our church. I call it dying in the church house. Where we're not really living for God, but yet, you know, we're not in the world either. That's why I like life from Wellsprings. It's like, hey, we're, we're going to live for God more than we are just satisfied with staying right here. We're going to India. We're building. We're reaching out to, to the community and one-on-one personal testimonies. These things are important because if we don't get moving, then we die in place. We get stuck in a rut. You know what a rut is? How many of you ever driven off the side of the road into a rut? Hit a big giant pothole like in Ohio. It's like the biggest potholes in the nation right here in Ohio. A rut is nothing more than a grave with two ends kicked out. A rut. We get stuck in those ruts. It's called dying in place. I remember one too long ago, my grandma passed away. My last grandma and she was in the hospital. The one over there in Beaver Creek by the mall. What's the name of that one? Yes, she was there. And she was there for a while. And I was able to come in from uh, Fort Bragg. I would talk to her on the phone, but I was able to come in and visit her uh, in the hospital. And I got there. It was the evening time. I went to her room. I was by myself. And she was, uh, she was sleeping in bed. So I just the nurse showed me a room. And I sat down. I had a little Bible on me. I just started reading and praying. I didn't know uh, her sleep schedule or anything like that. But... Grandma was at that time, she was in her 80s, and uh, Grandpa had already passed away a year prior, and um, Grandma just longed to be with Grandpa. I think that's really what it came down to. Uh, Grandpa, uh, you know, they did everything together. Grandma never had a license, because her and Grandpa were always together. Grandma never worked, because Grandpa, you know, they supported them, they lived together, they did everything together. So when her love of her life was torn away from this life, so was her love for life itself. And I saw that in her. I could tell that. And to where, uh, as my dad can attest, she, she didn't want to eat anymore. 
she uh, she was weak, and she and I remember talking to her, and she said, "I just don't feel like you know eating." Uh, and I could tell she, from being a, a chaplain and counseling, I could tell that she just had lost her will to live. And she woke up as I was sitting there with my Bible, and she looked over and she said, Brian, what are you doing here? And I got to talk to her a little bit. And um, um, I said, Grandma, you got to eat. If you don't eat, you're going to die. I said, Grandma, you you got to try to, you know, bounce back from this. But she didn't have the will to. She had uh, already come to the point to where she was ready to pass on to the other side. And the point is, in this, in this option they had, was if they didn't move, they were going to die. And if they went, you know, they might die anyways. To go to the Syrians, it says here, it says here, if we enter into the city, the famine's in the city, we shall die there. And if we sit here still, we shall die also. I remember in the military, we went through a lot of training, and I've experienced in Afghanistan twice, where, uh, you know, when they start, the enemy starts launching those mortars, and now they're firing rockets just recently. They're getting smart now in our camp. Uh, we were at Bagram Airfield, and they were getting smart because we had these C-Rams, they're called these automated uh, machine gun rifles, and they're all around our camp. So when a rocket's fired, uh, the machine guns, the, the technology will pick that up on GPS, it will swivel to where that, that, uh, that rocket's coming in, and they'll start blazing and shoot it down. They'll shoot that thing down with hundreds of uh, rotations of, of bullets flying through the air and tracers, and you can see them lighting off. It's a, it's a very astounding sound. So they're shooting down all these rockets, but the enemies get smart. They said, well, instead of one rocket, we're going to launch six at a time. So every now and then one slips through and uh, hits the camp, or the debris falls through and hits the camp. Uh, the last time I was there, uh, four were killed. And I went uh, quickly. I went over to the emergency room when they brought them in, and, and they were shrapnel all throughout. It was a very gruesome scene. So though, you know there was some danger there, but the point is, is that when you're in the when you're in the heat of battle and you're you're going through a field like this or enemy territory, and you hear that whistle, Sean, when you hear that, what do you know is coming? All right, something's coming in, and it's not going to be a fun day. So in the military, how many served? Anybody serving here? All right. In the military, I don't know if you remember this. You might see it from movies. The rest of you may know. When you hear that whistle, there's a command that the leader says, or anybody says. They yell out this command, and what might it be? Do you remember? Incoming! <laughs> Say it with me. Incoming! What's the purpose of that? To let everyone know that, hey man, something's getting, we're getting ready to get rained down on and it's not going to be a good day. And when you hear that, Sean, what you're supposed to do is everybody's supposed to dive towards cover, towards the tree, get next to something that could at least uh, deflate the, or, or uh, deflect the shrapnel or hopefully be, be out of kill zone. If you're an enemy in the sandbox, you know, it's just, hey, good luck to you because there's nowhere to hide. Well, one thing's for sure when you hear that. Incoming! And then when it explodes, boom, it hits the ground. Then the leader, he gives a direction and he gives a distance. He might say, because the order of march, wherever you're going, would be the 12 o'clock. He may say, 3 o'clock, 200 meters! And everybody gets up and runs to that direction. You hear, incoming! And they say, 3 o'clock, 
400 meters, and they just keep running to try to get out of the what is known as the kill zone. In Afghanistan, we were on patrol. We were in vehicles trying to get to a village that was seven hours away, a very dangerous area. And I was in the very last vehicle. I'm a chaplain now. I don't carry a weapon anymore. <laughs> uh, they don't, they don't, I guess they don't trust me with one. But actually, I have an assistant assigned to me who's trained, and he's uh, supposed to be my security, or she. So uh, we were in the back convoy, the very last truck of a five-vehicle convoy. We got turned around in the city, heading down south to uh, to this uh, base camp we were trying to get to. And I'm sure the leadership had their maps out. I heard some radio chatter and all that kind of stuff. And we had stopped. I'm like, what's going on? Why are we moving? You know, it's, it's, we're sitting here for too long. You ever get that kind of feeling like something's just not right? And uh, the leadership had taken the lead vehicle and had driven up around and was trying to check their maps and trying to bounce them off a GPS signal, which wasn't working with us properly. And finally, they came back after about 15 minutes saying, okay, we know where we're at. We're going to head out in this direction. And they were sending it over the radio so each of the uh, vehicle convoy leaders would know which direction to go. And we would follow each other. We'd keep our distance in case that. But as we began to move, I heard... And they said it over the radio, incoming, incoming, move, move. And we just, we had just moved. I thought we had just moved about 10, 15 feet in that convoy. And that last mortar round hit right where my vehicle was. <laughs> Threw up shrapnel on the back of the vehicle. And we were like, go, go, go. Let's get out of this kill zone. Because if we stayed there, they would begin to bracket us. They would put one behind us. And they put one before us. And they'd stop the lead vehicle. And then they'd start walking them in until the convoy's destroyed. Of course, we had guns, but... They're in the mountains. It's hard to pinpoint where they're coming from. The point is, is that if we stay here, we're going to die like these lepers. We stay, we're going to die. And uh, the le- and November fourteenth. This is for Sergeant First Class Mike Cathcart was killed on November the fourteenth of twenty fourteen, just you know months ago. And in that mission in Kandus, at a village surrounded. And the point was to try to take out the Taliban in that village. And we had a conglomeration of the Afghan National Special Forces and our Green Berets clearing this village. We were also working with 101st uh, Airborne Units to support us there, the air assault. And uh, the Green Berets and the ANSF were going in to clear this village. And Mike and Matt went into this village with a, a team at ANSF to clear this village. They had barricaded a hallway with machine guns. And they stepped around the hallway to clear that, and the machine guns began to fire, so they drew out. And then, and then Mike was like, hey, you guys got to get in there. This is our job. We've got to clear this hallway so we can clear this village. And they tried it one more time, and they backed out, and then they began to retreat. He's like, hey, we can't, and they're gone. And he's, and he's yelling over the radio uh, some words I can't say, but he's like, we got to go take this out. He said, he, he said a few, ex, ex, what he said? <laughs> said a few words, and he said, follow me. And he pushed through that hallway, and he got shot through the side of the top of his body armor. And he died. He fell back on Matt. Matt pulled him out of the building and drug him in, in, in drug him back to a point to where they could uh, get him out of, with a helicopter. And they worked on him, but he was already gone. I brought the, the casket back and laid him in that casket and took him back to the main base. We had a memorial ceremony for him, still recognizing his service to our country. He died for you. He died for you. Not only him, but Matt Emmerman as well. These are, these are Green Berets, guys. These are the guys getting it done, the elite. And uh, after that mission, you know, we came back and the team, you know, they're hurting. Matt was the oldest guy on the team. He had been on that team for many, many years. 
And even though some were senior in rank, they hadn't been around as long as he was. So he was like the daddy of the team. He loved hockey. He was from Michigan. Hope he wasn't a Michigan fan. I won't hold that against him. But I learned more in his death than I knew in his life. Matt and the rest of the guys, they were hurt. I spent some time with them. Flew down to their camp. Spent some time with them. We held some services there. I held some church services in a camp of 800. 800 soldiers, not one chaplain. Not one. We just don't have enough to spread around. So I had this little building like this. It was actually a room. We set it up to a chapel. We'd have services supposed to sign up outside the defect and have people come. That whole, about almost the whole team. I'm not exaggerating, but there's at least half the team of 14. There's at least half of them there that night. And there's about 40 of them in the room, and I just preached the gospel. I preached, I preached a, a sermon about the woman at the well, like Sean preached last week. For those green berets came to Christ that night. And there was more than just that. But these guys from the team that were hurt and that were struggling, they came to the Lord that night. And Matt got the peace that he needed. I came in on Matt because he's significant in my heart. He struggled with that. He was right there when Mike was killed. He pulled him out of the building. His first time in battle. His first time getting shot at. His first time in war. He's just a newly graduated Green Beret, new to the team. His first time at everything, seeing death, seeing somebody killed right there in front of him. All that bloodshed, getting shot at himself. The anxiety, the fears, the, you know, all that stuff in the midst of courage. How do you deal with all this? All the emotions packed in at once. And it, it really began to destroy him. I worked with him for a month, fly down there. We ended up sending him home to Fort Bragg. He got under good leadership of Chaplain Borders who began to disciple him in a word. And he took some people out of his life that were no good to him. And can I tell you that he's a success story today. I got to baptize him in Afghanistan on January 1st, the first day of this year at 9 in the morning. He's getting ready to fly back to Fort Bragg. And we were talking. It's like, man, when you get back, you need to get in a good church. You need to get baptized. I said, can I get baptized here? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we had a little uh, plywood box for a baptismal, a four by eight sheet of plywood box. We put a liner in it, put some water in there. It's cold on January 1st in Afghanistan, but we baptized Matt. Amen. Thank you for your prayers, by the way. It works. I'm going to speed through this. I just want you to see that the options are not good to stay or to go, and they had a decision to make, and here it is. In verse number 4b, they said, Now, therefore, come, let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall die. The decision was to get moving. Because if we die, at least we die trying. Like for Mike, if we die, hey, at least we die going out. We're dry, we're die trying. The decision is not always popular because we get comfortable, don't we, Sean, in our ruts. We get comfortable with our church. We get comfortable with our seats. We get comfortable in our marital ruts. We're not moving forward. We're not getting over the past. We're dying in place. So wives, look at your husband and say, you're a dip. <laughs> husband, look at your wife and say, I know you married me. Die in place. We're dips, man. We're dips. We're in a church rut. Maybe you're in a spiritual rut. Here's one, a witnessing rut. You know what turns this church upside down? It's just a personal testimony. From new converts, as we spoke about. Telling others about Jesus. Maybe you're in a stress rut, a depression rut, a financial rut, a work rut, a relationship rut, or whatever thing, whatever thing it might be, but we're staying there and we're dying in place instead of moving forward. So in verse 5, not only do you see the options, we see the decisions. We, I want to take you to the action right now. It says, They rose up in the twilight 
to go into the camp of the Syrians. I want you to see that verse. Because here's where they put feet to words. They put feet to words. Nod your head if you know what I'm talking about. Because it's just not enough to want change. Oh, I want to go to counseling. I want to read my Bible. I want to do better. I want to worship the Lord in church. Hey, I want to build a larger church. I I want to lead somebody to Christ. It's not just enough to want change. Are you with me? You can want till the cow come home. That's not going to make a difference. Because actions speak louder than what? And you all know people that are all talk, but no walk. And that's not how we should be. It's not enough to want change. It's not enough even to talk about change. Oh, when I get older, I'm going to do this. Or when I get secure, I'm going to do this. Or when I learn the Word more, I want to... It's not enough to talk about it. It's not enough to want it. you got to come to the point to where you're going to take action. I'll tell you a story, and you can laugh at me. But in 2001, I was here in Dayton, Ohio. I was in the National Guard with 19th Group out of Columbus. But I was also a police officer in Dayton, Ohio. And they had this tough man contest come to Dayton. Remember that one? Man, me and my friend Sean, we would go there just about every year. I, I'll tell you, this is probably four or five years in a row. We sit up, how many of you been to some tough man contest today? Am I the only crazy one? We sat up there in the ring. There'd be more fights in the ring than there was in the, you know, outside the ring than there was in the ring. Those yellow shirts be running around, you know, fighting Section A, security Section A. You see all the yellow shirts, you got people drunk and fighting. And so we'd be yelling in there, hey, you know, and I had a friend. He'd be like, oh, if I was in there, I'd kick your butt. <laughs> And I'm like, well, get in there. He's like, I'm not getting in there. I said, you shut up. I like, you're all talk. He's like, you get in there. And I thought, hmm. So what's the worst that can happen? Get my nose broken? Get knocked out? I, 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 how many of you actually died from getting hit in the face with a padded glove? I'm sure there's a few of them. But I was crazy enough. I said, you know what? He was drunk anyways. I said, you know what? I said, I am. I'm going to try it next year. So I began to train for it. And here's my training, Sean. I have my friend Philip come over to the house. And I'm like, I got to take a punch. <laughs> hit me in the face. <laughs> hit me again. <laughs> okay, hang on. Now, hit me again. That was my training, learning how to take a punch. I wasn't a, I wasn't a boxer. All fights end up on the ground, you know. I'm a killer. I'm a killer. I can kill you, but I can't, you know, I'm not a fighter. You know, if we fight, I'm going to try to kill you. I'm not going to try to box with you. So, that was my training. So then next year, and there's like 50 of us that signed up for that fight, and they weighed us, and I was in the Clydesdale, you know, over 200, 220, so I'm thinking, oh, great, I'm going I'm to draw a ticket like Butterbean or somebody like that, all coking. I'm praying, Lord, there's some guy, he's like 450 pounds, I'm praying, Lord, I, I pray that I get, I get a big, heavy guy, Sean, because I said, here's my tactics. I'm going to run from him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like, well, I'm going to wait till he's like, and then I'm going to go beat up on him. But if I get hit, I'm going to die in place. You know, that's what I mean. so, uh, so I entered that fight, and wouldn't you know it, man, the guy I got, this guy was class acting. He tore me up. He beat me. He knocked me down three times. He, he didn't knock me out. Amen. You say amen right there. But he won the fight, and he went on Saturday night. He won the whole tough man contest. I didn't feel so bad after that, but I got beat down. With my with like seventeen of my friends in the ring cheering for me, it was embarrassing. But at least I'm just not one to talk about it. And that's the purpose of this. What about in your life? Is there a decision to make where it's more than just a thought, where it's more than just words? You got to come to a point to where you take action on that. What are you faced with? What's the Lord told you as I'm speaking here? Your options may not look so good. 
but you never know what God has in store for you. Walk by faith and not by sight. But you say, how do I have faith? Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. Today, when you leave these doors, your faith is boosted. Elbow the person next to you say, you're boosted. Your faith is sharpened today because you're hearing the Word of God and it's strengthening your faith for what's going on in India, for what's going on with your church, for what's going on with your neighbors, your personal testimony, your work, your influence. Your faith should be boosted. We see the options. Not so good a decision. Alright, let's get moving. The action. They put feet to words. And lastly, the blessing. Verse number 5, they rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. When it came to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of Syrians to hear a noise of chariots, the noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the kings of Israel have hired against us the kings of the Hittites, the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight. They left their tents, their horses, and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. Wow! The Lord did that. But notice verse 8. And when the lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, can I put a plug in there and say that there's a time when you have to stop, when you, when you have to stop going and you start arriving. You start arriving to... Hey, you're Canaan land. And they came to the uttermost part of the camp. They went into one tent, attended, did eat and drink, and carried then silver and gold and raiment, and went and hid it. They came again and entered into another tent, and carried thence also, and went and hid it. These were the blessings. There was no charge for what they received. You know, there's no charge for salvation either. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, we're lepers. But there's no charge for salvation. Remember that verse I quoted for the wages of sin is death? We're all that verse. We're going to die. But, that conjunction, and but, or, 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 yet. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. This is God's gift. It's eternal life. I'll tell you what, if you, you know, you, Sean, you've seen an illustration. This is the gift. To say, hey, I want eternal life. If that's eternal life, then God says, you've got to take Jesus to get it. Well, I want eternal life, but here's what we want to do. We want to work for it. I want eternal life, but I'm going to be a good person for it. I don't get it. I want eternal life, so I'm going to go to church 52 weeks out of the year. That ain't going to happen. I want eternal life, so I'm going to be good to people and try to keep the, the golden rule and the Ten Commandments. We want the, the gift of eternal life. We want heaven. We want blessings. But God says it's in Jesus Christ. You say, what do I have to do to receive it? Here's a gift, brother. I want you to have. This is from me to you. He said, oh, hey, hey, thank, thanks, preacher. Let me wash the car this afternoon. <laughs> hey, no, no, it's a gift. Well, thanks for the gift, but they let them come over and mow your grass. Hey, I know you're painting right now on, on Rosemont. Let me, uh, let me come over and help you paint. No, it's a gift. You just simply take it and you receive it. You want eternal life? It's in Jesus Christ because we're lepers. It's not just enough to want it or talk about it. But you have to receive the blessing, the gift. There's no charge. And notice here that it was more than enough. They said one to another, verse 9, We do not well. And I'm closing. They said, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry until the morning, like some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come, that we may go and tell the king's household. And you can read the rest of the story, what transpired. That whole village... That whole city was saved because these four men 
I said, we can't hold this to ourselves. We got a will springing up. We got a good thing going here. How dare we hold it to ourselves? How dare we take this light and put it under a bushel so that the light of Christ can't shine? How dare we not help to reach out to the rest of the world? There was more than enough. Chris Tomlin sings a song. It might be in your book. It says, more than all I want, more than all I need, you are more than enough for me. More than all I know, more than all I can say, God, you're more than enough for me. And this gift they found, it wasn't meant to be kept. God provided it because it was meant to be shared. Well, Spring, you got a gift. It's meant to be shared. And I know you're doing that. I want to encourage you to keep on doing that. Because all we are as beggars telling other beggars where to get the bread. This was salvation for them as Samaritans. They didn't keep the wealth. They spread it to others. The wealth as in saving. The saving good of the city. And I wonder what decisions you're facing. What, 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 are, you, what are you searching for in your heart? What are you dealing with right now? What's your rut that you have? We all have something or another. What's God spoken to you about? Maybe you're here and you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior. Maybe here you're overloaded with cares. He says, casting all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. Maybe here it's distress and anxiety. I love Proverbs 16.3. It says, commit thy works to the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. I don't know what God has for you this morning. That's between you and Him. But I know we're a needy people, and I know He's a great Father. 